You're listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. Our prayers that this encourages you in the Lord. Y'all may be seated. Thank you, Joseph. Once again, you're speaking to my soul. Yeah, 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 he did. <laughs> How y'all doing this morning? If you don't know who I am, which I think most of you should, my name is Jared. I'm one of the elders here at Covenant Church, and my task this morning is to cover one of our last core values, which is missions. And to be honest, when I think of missions, it kind of makes me look at this world and look at it as an impossible mission. I mean, each time I wake up, it seems like I'm faced with a new obstacle. There's a new thing that's happening that I got to overcome and navigate around. I mean, 2020, you know, left and 21 was like, hold my beer. I got more coming. (laughs) So it's like, it's crazy. It's crazy right now. So this morning, my hope is to turn our focus on what missions is and specifically what missions is to God in hopes that when we leave here today, that we're encouraged in the Lord and that we have a new confidence about what the mission actually is. So turn with me to Ezekiel 47, verses 1 through 12. Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12. If I got any theology nerds or eschatology nerds, you're going to really like this. So Ezekiel 47, verses 1 through 12. Here's the word of the Lord. Then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east. For the house faced east, and the water was flowing down from under, from the right side of the house, from the south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate, and led me around on the outside to the outer gate, by way of the gate that faced east. And behold, water was trickling from the south side. When the man went out toward the east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cupids, and he led me through the water, water reaching the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the loins. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not ford. For the river, for the water had risen enough water to swim in, a river that could not be forded. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back to the bank of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, on the bank of the river, there were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then he said to me, These waters go out toward the eastern region and go down into the Arabah. Then they go toward the sea, being made to flow in the sea, and the waters of the sea became fresh. It will come about that every living creature with swarms in every place where the river goes will live, and there will be very many fish. For these waters go there, and the others become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. It will come about that fishermen will stand beside from Ingadi to Inglam. There will be a place for the spreading of nets. Their fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the great sea. Very many. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. 
but the river on its bank on one side and on the other will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear every month because their waters flow from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. So let us pray. Father, give me the strength to preach your word today. Lord, uh, I pray that each one here would hear your word, believe it, and apply it within their lives. So, Lord, uh, be with me now. Be with them as we look at what missions is. And, Lord, help us to shape our view around who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. As you know, we took a break from Exodus to kind of cover our core values. And I'm hoping that you remember some of the things that we've covered in Exodus, especially when God called his people out of Egypt. At that moment, God displayed to them his glory by revealing his mission to call and redeem them out of slavery so that everyone will see that salvation is the work of God. Later in Exodus, we see God making a covenant with them in the wilderness. God held out before them life and death, peaceful existence in the land he promised them, or exile. All of this was based around their obedience and disobedience to his revealed covenant law. And as we know, due to Israel's stubborn attachment to sin, their story leads them into exile. Yet God announced ahead of time that there in exile, they would begin to grasp more fully the vastness of God's grace and this mission of redemption. This is where our author of our verses before us finds himself, Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel was a priest, he was a prophet, and he was called to prophesy in the middle of this covenant curses that fell upon the nation of Israel. In the first part of Ezekiel, the prophet had to warn the exiles of even a worse fate to come because of the people's long and continuing history of sin. So in that context, Ezekiel was to proclaim a message to a group that was faced with the temptation to give in to their frustrations and despair. They were surrounded by the symbols of their captivity and ruin. Their circumstances seemed impossible and hope seemed useless. They felt as if God had abandoned them to be by themselves. How could they maintain their faith in the Lord when everything around them said otherwise? You could say they lost sight of the mission of God that was revealed to them back within the wilderness. But couldn't we say the same about today? Haven't we lost sight of the mission of God that was revealed to us through Christ? The last two years brought to light what many of us already believe. Why worry about missions when this world is going to hell in a handbasket? We feel as though we are like Jeremiah or Ezekiel, speaking to a world that will never listen to us. But I would love to solve that dilemma for you. You're not Jeremiah. You're not Ezekiel. God gave them something in part, but we have it in full now. Yet all around us are symbols of what our sin has caused. We see death and ruin, and we see it a lot now. I mean, it's all over Facebook. 
We also see people abandoning reality for their desires. And it's easy to give in to frustration and despair. How can we maintain faith in the Lord when the world around us says otherwise? This is the best time to remind ourselves about what missions is according to God. God did not only give Ezekiel a message of judgment, but he held out to them the hope of restoration, which is the heartbeat of missions, the hope of restoration. And in these verses before us, the prophet Ezekiel reveals three features of the mission of God within his church that will help us have a better understanding of what missions is. And the first feature we'll see is the source of missions, the source of missions. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 of our passage. Now, the book of Ezekiel is made up of 48 chapters. In the first 32 chapters, God unveils to Ezekiel a vision of judgment upon Israel and upon their enemies. But starting in chapter 33, God starts revealing his glorious mission of redemption to him. He begins to see a new shepherd, a new land, a new people, a new unity, and all of it culminating towards a restored Israel and a new temple. So here in chapter 47, Ezekiel is taken from the inner courts of this new temple to witness water dripping from the threshold of the house of God, which is the temple of God, from the altar of God. At this point, God is turning Ezekiel's focus on one thing, where this source of unique water is coming from. And it comes from the center of the temple where God's glory dwells. So when we think of missions, it begins at the source, God's glory. Missions should not start with us. It shouldn't start with the world around us, but it must begin with God. It is His mission, it is for His glory, and it's on His terms. When it starts in any other way, we run the risk of robbing God of His glory. It becomes more about our ideas and our motives and our objectives and our definitions. Yet if God's glory is our main focus. It should bring us confidence within missions because it lifts the burden from our shoulders. It's not dependent on our abilities. It's not dependent on our charisma or nor our circumstances. But it rests entirely upon God and finds its source in His desire for His glory. Everything that God was doing and instituted up to Ezekiel's time was never meant to take his place, but only identify something greater, because that is how much he desires his glory. This glorious vision of restoration and new temple with this unique waters given to Ezekiel was still incomplete. They still had limited access to his presence. The people of Israel still needed to make regular sacrifices for their sins. The fullness of God's glory, which Ezekiel saw and anticipated for, and pointed to and arrived in the person and works of Jesus Christ. The source of missions not only begins with God's glory, but its very foundation starts with God's work of grace in giving a people to be saved by His Son and sending His Son for their redemption. 
Therefore, this vision and all its details pointed to the fullness of Christ. The Apostle John saw a very similar vision, but God showed him the fullness of it. Look with me at Revelations 21 and 22, verse 22. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Later on in Revelations 22, verse 1, we see this. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Jesus is the one who declared himself to be the true temple of God where all the fullness of God dwells. It was Jesus who announced himself to be the once and for all sacrifice for the sins of his people when he offered himself upon Calvary's cross and satisfied the full wrath of God. And it is Jesus who proclaimed the very source of missions in some of our favorite passages. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And in verse 17 For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Missions has always meant to be a sending program. In fact, if you look at the word missions, it comes from the Latin verb missio, which means to send. So missions literally has to do with sending, and specifically the glory of God in sending His Son for our redemption. As Colossians 1, 19 to 20 tells us, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, were the things on earth or things in heaven. So the source of missions begins at that point, and it only grows from there. Which brings us to the second feature we see, the growth of missions, the growth of missions. Look with me at verses 3 to 6 of our passage. I want you to notice the repetition of the measuring of the water. Usually repetition within Scripture is trying to highlight something important to understand. And especially with this additional question at the end, Son of Man, have you seen this? It's communicating something valuable to us. God is turning Ezekiel's focus closer to this water and how it's growing. Notice that it's not standing water. It's not like a puddle or a pond, but running and growing like a mighty river. This wonderful mission of God through Christ runs constantly. It is still spreading. The further it goes, the deeper it grows. The gospel church and its mission started very small. It's beginning in the most unlikely way with a, the God-man being crucified upon a Roman cross. As the world looked on in victory, as they saw Jesus hanging in defeat, it was only the puncture that opened the springs of life and caused a mighty river to flow. Notice how it starts in verse 2, as it trinkled from the south side. But by degrees, it grew wider and deeper to the ankle first and to the knees until no one could cross this mighty river. This is the nature of the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus explained this to his disciples in Matthew 13, 31 and 32. 
He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. What causes this growth? How is it measured? Is it from the success of our abilities or the church's perfection? Or is it from this world? None of them. The growth of this river is caused by its source, God. God is passionate about his mission, his glory, and he will not share his glory with another. Therefore, he takes us out of the equation. And he sends Christ for our redemption because we cannot save ourselves. And Christ sent the Spirit of God to continue this divine mission because we cannot do it alone. This beautiful vision that Ezekiel is beholding is the outstanding image of the gradual increase of the Spirit's mission within his church. And it can be measured by the progress of the gospel in the world. It started with God sending his only begotten son. And then Jesus highlights that in John 17, 8. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. This word was given to Christ, and then he spoke it and given it to his disciples. And later on in John 17, 18, we see the reason. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. It began with Christ, and then it went to the twelve, and it only grows from there. Yet once the disciples received their assignment, they did not strap up and accept the mission they were on. But Christ commanded them to wait until they, he sends them help, because by themselves they were insufficient to complete this mission. So Christ sent the Spirit to give them power. So when Christ ascended, the Spirit descended and moved in power and grace, as we see in the book of Acts. Jesus declared what this water was from the very start and the impact it would have on those it touched. If you look at John 7, verses 37 and 39, this is Jesus. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So once Christ ascended to the right hand of God, he sent forth the Holy Spirit as this river of living water. The mission of God is the mission of the Spirit, who draws man and women to himself through Jesus Christ. The Spirit has been accomplishing this task and growing his church by using believers like me and you as his instruments of living water through the proclamation of the gospel within the world. The Spirit reveals his divine power in accomplishing this mission by exalting Christ and glorifying the Father. And so as the church fulfills this great commission given to us by Christ, the Spirit leads this mission of Christ forward and also heavenward. 
And if you take time to examine your life, I pray that you will see the influence of His work within it. I believe it. Do you remember when these living waters reached your feet and when you first waded in them? Every step you took was taken lightly and thankfully. You treaded across them carefully. Then as time passed by and the Spirit revealed more of God's grace, the waters came to your knees and then to your waist until you found yourself swimming in the depths of His love and mercy. Can you recall it? But if you sit here today and you have never felt the cool of this living water upon your feet, oh, my friend, the Lord Jesus says, come and clean yourself at its bank. Swim your burdens away and satisfy your thirst for life in its continuing supply. For this mighty river flows for sinners like you and me so that we may have everlasting life with God. And this brings us to the third feature of missions, the goal of missions. Look with me at verses 7 through 12 in our passage. Once again, God turns Ezekiel's attention to something else within this vision as he reveals the transforming effects of this water. It helps clarify what the water's purpose is and missions are. Missions is. And in return, helps us determine what the goal of missions is for us. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road for a lot of us. Because when we think of missions, we usually think of action steps, purposes, and goals. That helps us define what we need to do and define what missions is. We want to know what the goal is and what we're sent out to do. For example, when Lauren sends me out to the grocery store, she sends me on mission for something that has a purpose, a goal, and some action steps to take. And usually I fail at that mission because usually I have a different goal than hers. I'm usually going in, getting out as fast as possible. So I find the first thing I see. But on the other hand, Lauren, her goal for me is to find a certain brand, certain item that is cost efficient and that will actually go with what she's trying to do. And I'm sure many of you can relate to that. And I'm sure many of you even go a step further and, you know, self-sabotage yourself so that no one will ever ask you to do anything. And I, I can see that. Now, let me give you a quick definition of what a goal is. Quick definition. A goal is an idea of the future or the desired result that a person or group of a people envision, plan, and commit to achieving. Let me read it again. A goal is an idea of the future or the desired result that a person or a group of people envision, plan, and commit to achieving. So every mission has some type of envisioned future outcome. Even within this vision, God is communicating a future outcome of his church. Now, what I've noticed is whenever we think of missions or whatever that future outcome is, the way the individual envisions it shapes their view of what missions is. For example, my fastest possible grocery errands. I've changed what the mission was. But we can also see that within the church. Some see a future outcome that only gets worse. So their tendency is to, is to turn the goal of missions into a rescue mission, getting as many people as they can into the lifeboats before, this sink, this, before the ship sinks. 
yet it becomes an impossible mission because we can never save enough. Others see a future outcome that can, can't get any worse. So they turn the goal of missions into social transformation, making life better where they can. But it as well is an impossible mission because we can never do enough. And then others see a future in cruise control as the tendency is to turn the goal of missions into whatever will work. But like the rest, it becomes impossible because there is no clear purpose or vision. Now, if God is the source of missions and the primary agent of his growth, then God has set the future results of missions that he has envisioned, that he has planned, and that he has committed to achieving. We as his church should desire to know his goal, have faith in his plan, and long to achieve his purposes, no matter what the world around us might look like or say otherwise. And here in verses 12, 7 through 12, we see four goals of missions. The first and most primary goal of missions is to bring life, is to bring life. Notice the direction of the water is sent out in verse 8. It goes out towards the east where no life is found and into the sea. This sea is referencing the Dead Sea, where it holds lifeless salt water. Again, signifying deadness, but notice what the water does. It makes the dead water fresh and causes life. We have just described the very goal of the Spirit's work through the gospel of Christ. It brings life to what is lifeless and dead. Jesus said in John 3, 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And later he told the woman at the well something similar in John 4, verses 13 and 14. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone drinks of this water, speaking of the well, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And in Ephesians, we see the power of this life-giving water. Ephesians 2.1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then in verse 4, But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Oh, the grace and mercy of God has been poured over sinners like us. And if you sit here today and you've never experienced this new life given through Christ, you sit here today dead in your sins. But these waters... They desire to give life to what is dead. That's good news. It is Jesus who says to come and be satisfied and find rest within the waters of eternal life. But I also want you to notice its success in achieving this goal. In verse 9 of our passage, at the end it says, In every place where the river goes, we'll live. Do you hear that? 
Wherever this message of life goes, it will bring life. It's not a maybe. It's not a possible. It says it will bring life. Stop lowering our expectations of the gospel and stand confident in the power of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation. We go out into a dead world with the expectation that the Spirit will bring life. And oh, sinner, do you hear this message of hope? It will bring life to where there was none. It will satisfy when other things wouldn't. It will heal every scar and forgive what was unforgivable. For where this water goes, life will surely follow. And hear the words of my Lord. Hear the success of his mission and the promise he gives in John 6, verses 37 and 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That is his mission. This is the will of him who sent me. Here's the goal. That of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. That is good news. And the second goal of missions is to gather life. To gather life. Look at verses 10 of our passage, verse 10 of our passage. We see a fisherman standing beside this once dead body of water that is now beaming with life and God giving them a place to cast their nets into the waters to gather life. It echoes what Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 4 verse 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But I want to make four quick observations. First, the message of life that we have was never meant to be kept to ourselves. God has sent us out to gather life, casting our gnats within the with the gospel and gather what is caught. The second, the goal is not to live in isolation but to be gathered within a local body of believers who gather around this message of life. And next, God has made a place for the fishermen to gather. Notice the two places that he identifies. One was set on one end of the Dead Sea and the other on the other end. It communicates the scope of this mission from one end to the other, its entirety. The message of life is sent out into the world and it gathers all kinds of life within a local body of believers that gather around the word of life. That is the Great Commission in a nutshell. This means that every believer is a spring of living water and they gather the fish that gather around them. Whether it be at work, at school, or at the ball fields, or at home, the goal of missions is to bring life and to gather life. And finally, notice the success of this goal. Very many will be gathered. Not a few or a little, but very many. Oh, believer, there is still hope for this world. In the end, there will be very many from every tongue, nation, and tribe that will gather around the throne of God, worshiping the Lamb that was slain for their sins. 
And oh sinner, do you hear the hope within it? Because Jesus Christ desires for all men to be saved. He shows no partiality. It is for every race, every tribe, for the rich and for the poor, for the sick and the healthy. It is for all. Now, I'm sure after hearing those two goals, some of you are saying, well, there's still people who reject the gospel, Jared. What about them? Well, I'm glad you asked, because the third goal of missions is to distinguish life, to distinguish life. Notice the marshlands and the swamps in verse 11. As I've already mentioned, this living water is the power of the Spirit that works through the proclamation of the gospel. And wherever this water goes, it brings life through the words that the Lord sends out, which gathers life into His church unto Himself throughout this world to call saints to this glorious spiritual worship which is described here within our passage. Yet we see the swamps and the marshlands of this world where this, these waters pass over and are left in its dead state. It distinguishes the people who cling incurably to their lusts and sins. For these healing waters only drive them out into the marshes and swamps to be left for salt and judgment unto God. But I don't want you to read this and think that these swamps and marshes are the overarching theme of God's mission. Because when you do that, you subtract from what the Lord is doing. Because His mission is to bring life to where there was none. Yet in this verse, God is communicating to us two truths. First, do not take lightly the grace and mercy that comes from God. For he shows mercy to whom he will and he compassion on whom he wills. Romans 9, verse 14 and 16. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills, or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Oh, believer, you should rejoice in this grace and glory in his mercy towards you because he brought these waters despite your lifeless existence towards him. You know, sinner, where you see and you're met with these waters, you should not assume that they will visit you again. For today is the day of salvation. The season of His grace is now. But secondly, it distinguishes where these waters need to go. All the places of this world are barren, unsound, and unhealthy. But the Lord desires for these waters to go forth into the dead places of this world so that life can happen. It longs to go into the swamps where the souls of man are spiritually dead until they are quickened and healed by the proclamation of the gospel. This word must come. It must heal them. Romans 10, 4 says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have never heard, not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? This verse before us should be a warning to us 
that when the word of life is preached and not acted upon in season, it will become the residue of God's judgment upon the man and women it had no effect on. They will be left in their bareness and everlasting ruin. This same gospel is aroma to life to some. And for others, it's an aroma of death. So we should encourage each other and stir one another to draw close and drink deep this living water that gives life, gathers life, and distinguishes life. So we may be filled with the fullness of God. But this brings us to our last goal of missions. It benefits life. It benefits life. Look with me at verse 12 of our passage. On the banks of this river, all kinds of life exist, and it draws its nutrients from the living water and bears fruit for food and healing. This is an awesome description of what happens to the church as they draw their nutrition from the ministry of the Word. It produces a ministry of mercy around them. We can see that within the church in Acts. Their focus was on bringing life with their proclamation of the word of Christ. And from that, it produced the fruit of faithful discipleship within a local body of believers that gathered around the ministry of the word. And they devoted themselves to the caring of one another. Whether that caring was for orphans, widows, or the poor, they demonstrated the grace that they have received from Christ to all. This fruit was all produced by drawing its nutrition from the living waters of the gospel. And I wish I had time to, to read Colossians 3, 12 through 17, but I'm glad Brandon was able to do that at the beginning. But I also wanted to read Ephesians 4, 7 through 16 with you. But when you get home, I pray you will open those up and look at them because what you will find and what you will discover that each of you has been given a grace according to the measurement of Christ's gift to equip and build the body of Christ, his church. I need the fruit that you bear, and you need mine, so that we can remind and encourage one another in Christ and the gospel from which we draw life from. And I hope that this mission of God, that you see one another in a different light, knowing this goal. But in closing, I want to read you Covenant Churches, our church, core value of missions. It says this, The purpose and passion of believers is to be a witness to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We do that for the glory of God alone, through Jesus Christ alone, by the power of the Holy Spirit alone, with the goal to bring life to every nation, tribe, and tongue, gathering them into churches, local body of churches, so that they might worship and obey Jesus Christ now and into eternity to the glory of God alone. Where we see lifelessness in this world, we send the message that brings life in the confident hope that it will not only bring life, but distinguish life. And as we draw from this river of life, we produce the fruit of righteousness that is beneficial for our lives 
and for his church. This is the mission. So let us go forth that we may glorify God and enjoy him forever. Go therefore to every place, to everywhere you're at for the glory of God, whether it be here at Covenant Church, your place at work, your school, the ball fields, at home, wherever you find yourselves, bring these waters of life to the people around you. And if you're here today and you have never felt or tasted this life-giving water, it is here before you now. It is Christ Jesus, who according to his great mercy took on your guilt and shame and paid the fullness of your sins upon Calvary's cross and satisfied the fullness of God's wrath so that not one drop will fall on your head. It is Christ who has risen from the grave and caused us to be born again to a living hope through his resurrection. He calls out to sinners to come and be satisfied. He desires those who are weary and heavy laden, for he will give you rest by the banks of this living water so that you can enjoy the depths of his love. I pray that you will come to that living water. Let's pray. We'd like to thank you for listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. If you have any questions or would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at www.covchurchtusk.com or you can email info at covchurchtusk.com. God bless.